0: Blaze Radio presents Heat he- Check. He- Check is that time, time, the this is time.
1: another wonderful episode of Heat Check on the show today. We'll start at the logical point. are on out at LSU. We didn't get to break it down over the weekend, but we are back off the bye here in studio at the Bill Austin Studios of Blaze Radio here today. We will also talk a little bit about the... Tempest in a teapot, if you will, that was the events of ASU's game at Utah, and then what that means for the conference, as well as previewing a trip from Oklahoma State, the team that may not be fraudulent, we'll discuss, they are going to Iowa State where they are a dog. Ames, but before we do that, I will introduce our crew. It is the same as always Riley Swenson and Kevin Malater helping out on their end of things our freshmen and then of course Gabe Swartz across the mirror from me. I am your host Peyton Gallagher. So Gabe, let's start with with Edwards Ron and I, I mean, this is odd to say the least. I texted you. I said, wow. They got a divorce. That's what it, it looked like. It looked like a divorce settlement to me. You thought I was talking about Ross Dellinger, the man who broke that story and his wife, which a brief was funny. moment,
0: a brief moment of confusion. Yeah, nothing more, nothing less. But
1: once sorted, dust settled. What we know now is that LSU has the, and I'm gonna say declaratively, people have tethered them together as the two best jobs. I don't think it's close. LSU is a better job than USC because of the oh, amount by far. of support that you get and the access that you get to the same kind of talent in Louisiana that you can get out of California. Per capita, Louisiana has the most five stars of any state in the country, actually, by right. just the population compared to the amount of five stars they produce. So it is the best talent-producing state in the country, pound for pound, That's in your backyard, and it means more to kids from Louisiana. So I think it's the best opening available. And yeah, it is open now. We'll see what they look like throughout the rest of the year. We'll see what the transfer departures look like, because that will happen too. But to you, let's focus on Ed O first. This is a horse that uh, is dead and has been beaten. I think just talking about what Coach O's legacy is. A lot of people have said to the effect of, hey, Gene Chiswick is happy. It's happened to somebody that wasn't just him winning a national championship and being out two years later in the SEC. I don't think Coach o will be a head coach again. He's 60 years old. He has not really found long-term success as a head coach despite the one year in 2019. And I will say this before we move on. I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. You, me, at the time, Griffin Peters... We're on top of this. We said when this happened, this is a high likelihood that this is flash in the pan, and all these things are going to move on, and it's never going to be the same again, and we were right.
0: We were very right. Um, it, if, if we're talking about Coach O, and we're talking about things that surprise me, or things that my like, takeaways, um, that don't have to do with how good of a job LSU mm-hmm. is, everybody knows This has been said a million times this week. The last three head coaches at LSU have all won the national championship. Nick Saban, Les Miles, and now Coach O, O, Ed Orgeron. Um, And, I mean, I don't know if you necessarily would just be like, automatically, whoever's the next coach there is going to win a national title, but I would would certainly venture to guess that um, given that at some point Nick Saban has to leave from Alabama, and you would think unless – Unless LSU just botches this hire, and I think they're going to try to make a trophy hire because that's, that's the that's what
1: Scott Woodward does. Yes, that's what he goes
0: for. He goes work. for he goes for co- trophy high trophy hires. Um, but you would venture to guess that LSU is going to make the College Football Playoff at some point under whoever they hire here. That is the goal for them. That is what the goal should always be for them. And to people that have. I don't necessarily want to talk about the LSU job at the moment, but we can circle back around to it. The thing for me with Orgeron is he wins a national title. Brody Miller wrote a great story in The Athletic about all of these different things and as far as how Orgeron kind of went away from the things that were helping LSU win a national championship. And you can say he lucked into it with Joe Brady and he lucked into it with everything else coming into perfect form and fashion with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Thaddeus Moss, Clyde edwards Lair, like all those guys, sure. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that stands out to me the most is that like when stuff like this happens and someone like Gene Chizik wins a national championship with Auburn, someone like Orgeron wins a national championship at LSU, it really should make it more amazing as we kind of pull the camera back and kind of come out of focus on one and say, like, holy crap, the fact that Nick Saban year in and year out has the That was exactly what ability, I was going to say. The fact that someone has the ability year in and year out to not miss a beat never have a down year that is – or really not have down years of, of pretty much always making the playoff, mm-hmm. pretty much always being a national contender, and always having the fire and desire to compete mm-hmm. um, and remain on the, on the top of the recruiting boards, remain on top of the national rankings, remain on top of until a couple weeks ago winning 80 straight games where you're favored by more than 10 points. Like all of those things are amazing because I don't necessarily think Alabama is some – incredible job in comparison to lSU like if you if you really no. look at it sure they have more in-state competition in, in all those regards correct so Orgeron, perfect storm national championship season probably one of the most impressive teams of all time most impressive mm-hmm. seasons of all time I'm pretty sure they beat seven ranked teams in their 15 wins. Like they that's, beat
1: everybody in the country that wasn't Ohio State that could have posed any threat to yeah. them realistically throughout the course of the year. It started with taxes, and it didn't stop until the national title.
0: Yeah, and when, when stuff like that happens, and then you see someone just completely lose the drive and the focus to keep the train on the tracks and keep coming to work and keep doing the things necessary to win at a high level, it makes it all the more impressive that Saban has the kinds of years that he— consistently has that for the most part, like this is a down year for Dabo. He's still four and two still is not out of the woods of turn in terms of like winning the ACC and making uh, one of the new year's six bulls in mm-hmm. a down ACC year. So like Clemson and Alabama should really thank their lucky stars because they have guys who come every single year. And even Ryan day for the, for the most part at Ohio state as well um, has always kept on the train, kept the trains on the train on the tracks. All of those things to be considered, that's what surprises me most about o-, o is I don't know how you can, I guess it it's kind of natural though. Like I just losing the fire to you, you w- reach the mountaintop and some, pe- some people reach the mountaintop and it's like, all right, I got what I wanted mm-hmm. and I, I can't keep going for it. And then other people across the board just continue to find ways to motivate themselves. And that's what separates the great ones from the really good ones. And I don't even know if, like, I don't even know if O is, like, a really good one. I think he's a good one in a great situation. Was a good one in a great situation. I think when things
1: line up for Coach Orgeron, he's an incredible motivator. Mm -hmm. And he can set the tone of a program and be the guy that kind of is at the prow of the ship, right?
0: But he needs
1: needs wind in the sails to get the ship to go. And uh, I don't want to belabor the analogy, but he needs strong masts that can support what he's trying to do. He can steer the ship, but he needs the right. And this is true for every coach. The thing that even more so impresses me about this game, look at Georgia. Look at Clemson. Look at the perennial contenders around the country. They're not really replacing coordinators at the same rate that Alabama does even. Kirby Smart's only had to replace two. Yeah. Jim Chaney and Mel Tucker. I mean, Tony Elliott, Elliott and Venables, Brett Venables have been at Clemson pretty much the entirety of this run.
0: And it's not like they're not being offered jobs.
1: And like, Chad Morris left Clemson. We've seen since what kind of coach he is, at least the head coach. Like Dabo Sweeney has lost one coordinator in his time doing this. Alabama lost two last year. It shows how hard it is to do this, what Saban does. Think about the amount of Alabama coordinators that are having success elsewhere. I mean, if you want to even look at, like, Dable in the NFL and what he's doing with the Buffalo Bills, it's insane.
0: Doing things at a high level consistently is a really impressive thing, and that's why, uh, like, to to cross this to college hoops and such. Sure. Like, consistently being great, like, Gonzaga is at their level and and not really coming off of it. Kansas is at their level in the big 12 and the WCC. Um, There's really nothing quite like that. And in college football, it is Saban. Like it's the consistent overwhelming force. And to circle back to like the job part of LSU being better than USC and see this a lot from PAC 12 people. I see this a lot from ASU fans. Um, Debating the merits of both jobs. Mm-hmm. If your opinion is that LSU is a worse job than USC because you, you have don't know to college football. No, be, if if the, if the reason for you thinking LSU is a worse job than USC is because quote you have to compete with Bama every year. You are coming at it from a perspective of mm-hmm. someone who's not competitive, because yep. people who are ultra competitive yep. want to be in ultra competitive yep. situations that have to bring the best out of them. Mm-hmm. And that's what the LSU job does, because you have to beat the best. And like at this point, it's ludicrous to believe that coaches don't want to coach in the SEC and would prefer... Like I understand the value of the USC job. I think it is a great job. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a treasure trove of opportunities there to be great. Sure. Competing against Alabama is not a con for people who are actually good with football and actually are competitive and having that Death Valley, Saturday night, Tiger Stadium. Yeah, like Those are all overwhelming positives. They're that... going
1: to be able to place a phone call to virtually anybody in the country, and it's not going to be an instant hang-up. Yes. A conversation will at least be had with almost every coach in the nation, and even some NFL coaches, honestly. yeah, Seriously. And that's the magnitude of this job. Like you said, the last three coaches that have coached for LSU have won national titles, of course, one of which was Nick Saban. We know what kind of stuff he has. But the other two, Les Miles, I mean, was successful at Oklahoma State, sure. Can't really peg the Kansas thing on him. He was well over the hill at that point uh, in time.
0: It was, yeah, yeah, it, so, it had kind of gone from him.
1: <laughs> like, that's fine. But what I will say is that I kind of believe that you can't go to the same side of the football for the head coach in consecutive
0: hires. Th- three consecutive hires, because Orgeron and Les are both well, cut Les from is like... is a
1: special teams guy.
0: No, I'm just saying of like the kind of quirky personality that motivates really sure, well.
1: Sure, I-, I was talking more so about their schematic, especially. Oh, specialty. okay, yes. So, I-, I think it needs to be an offensive coach, personally. That's why I don't think Mel Tucker makes a lot of sense. I think when whatever was happening was unsuccessful, you need to jolt in the other direction. So you're coming from a defensive coach. Let's maybe go to the other side of the football is my stance. With that said, let's take a little bit of time here to talk about candidates because I know that's your favorite thing in the world.
0: Well, it has to start with Jimbo, right, because of yes. the connection to Woodward.
1: So you want for backstory, that? yes. LSU's athletic director, Scott Woodward, came from Washington, right? He has been known to make the big-time hire. He's got a good relationship with Jimbo Fisher, dating back to the whole hiring process of him at Texas A&M. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Scott Woodward was there as well, yes? I believe so. When that hire was made, wrote up the contract, which, by the way, for Jimbo Fisher, does not have a buyout. So that makes this much more attainable for LSU, especially considering they are currently paying Ed Orgeron $19 million to not coach the LSU Tigers in his buyout. And I think that that part of this is a huge part of why he is going to coach out the rest of the year, right? A settlement was agreed upon. LSU could have tried to pursue the same thing Tennessee did, when they fired Jeremy Pruitt and tried to fire him with cause because of some of the stuff that has leaked out of the athletic department about his off-the-field actions. In regard to the Title IX case? They're not as foolish as Tennessee to try and do that because that mucks your reputation to other coaching prospects. It just does.
0: So so, even, even if there is like some really, really unsettling stuff about O oh, and the Title IX and stuff? You know what? Coaches are human
1: beings, and I'm not making excuses for him because he's got to be a leader for young men and show them how to act as human beings. But I will say this. He's a 60-year-old man coming off a divorce from a long-term marriage after they won the national title. When you reach the pinnacle as an athlete, having to try and figure out what comes next can be hard, and especially when you exacerbate that with Something like a divorce, that can be really tough. And people react to that in different ways, and I'm not saying the way he reacted, if the reporting is true about his promiscuity off the field and having women in the complex. We certainly know that there's a picture that's on the internet that verifies that he was getting around in Baton Rouge. I'm just saying that people react to that in different ways. And I think Coach O was kind of going through it. I think his actions indicate that. I think his looseness um, interacting with people and his kind of quickness to, to anger, it, that's an indicator of that. So I'm not going to play armchair psychiatrist here, but I just would ask people before they pile on to Coach O to actually consider him as a human being as opposed to an animatronic football coach robot. Also say this conversely for for Jimbo Fisher who is very happy in College Station, got married in College Station to his new wife, his second wife, and has seemed to kind of like turn himself around as an individual there. So that is also significant. He says he's happy there. That's also going to be part of this. So if you get a no from Jimbo, where do you go?
0: Well, okay, the, the thing about the, the O thing is it's not just about his relationship with women, though. No, like, other, other stuff happened, and we he, don't need to rehash it. He, if you want
1: to look at it, go read the stories. I'm going to cut you off. It, like, I don't think it's we need just to do that.
0: The actions that he displayed, especially last week or two weeks ago when he goes on his radio show and someone calls in and Somebody makes some really bad hideous. comments to him. Yeah. But regardless of how low those comments are, as the head coach at a program like LSU, you can't respond with a veiled death threat, and that's what he did. And— that seems like it was one of the final straws of this thing. And he's still somehow doing this radio show apparently on Wednesday nights. He may have just done it again tonight. I don't know. If, I mean, that's what the LSU Athletics site is showing, according to Riley. Love that. So ma- research. maybe he will continue out and do that. It, knowing that the UCLA game at the start of this year was Coach O standing in the locker room saying, they yelling, they can fire me if they want to. Like... You just, when you hear that that was happening, you know it was yeah, it was coming. The, pl- to the
1: end. players know what's going on too. They're not. They're, I think yeah. aside.
0: Okay, but as far as candidates for the job, aside from Jimbo, I don't necessarily know who else is going to be the trophy that Woodward wants. But James Frank. James Frank. <laughs> if if they go to Urban, like it'd be. It'd be wild. Wild. I wouldn't, wouldn't cross it off the list. But like James Franklin is going to use this to get either massively overpaid again by Penn State. or By the
1: way, that's his dream job. He grew up in that part of Pennsylvania, and I, I do think that is significant.
0: But Or uh, use it to get a bidding war between USC and LSU. And he could certainly be the guy at USC because— I just don't think he's going to leave.
1: He could have changed in his time in Happy Valley. He may not feel like there's a lot of job security
0: there. Or or he just thinks it's easier to win in the Pac-12 South than it is to win in the... uh, That's just never scared him before. Yeah, I I know. I don't
1: think he's leaving Penn State, and I don't know what that leaves you with. Because Mel Tucker by no means is a slam dunk hire. I really appreciate what he's doing in Michigan State this year. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good culture setter. But, like, come on. They've not even had to prove that they're actually that good this year. We can't be having him as the odds-on favorite for this job.
0: I would be a huge fan of uh, Lane Kiffin just continuing his tour through the SEC and hopping from Ole Miss to LSU. Better, it objectively is a better job. I don't know how good a place Baton Rouge would be for Joey Freshwater. We
1: would. I don't know either, but I'm just. I mean, thinking certainly thinking of the lines. eccentricity has worked there more so than it has other places.
0: What I will say is you alluded to the, the lines that have Mel Tucker as the favorite. The and favorite shifted now, correct? I have not looked. But I would just say I'm not. What's up, Kevin? Oh, I have the odds right here. Oh, okay. Read He's them been dying to share these.
2: Yes, uh, because James Franklin is the odds on favorite right now at plus 400. Uh, Joey Freshwater, Lane Kiffin at plus plus 500, second favorite along with Mel Tucker at plus 500. Jimbo's the next odds on favorite. And Billy Napier is the fifth. They're Billy not,
0: Napier is the wild card, but he's, t- he's at a, is he, he needs to get a Power 5 head coaching job before Yeah,
1: he's a good coach. LSU. I think he might do well there, but that's not a Scott Woodward hire. It's just not. No, it's not. It would and completely go counter to every personnel decision he's made as an athletic executive.
0: My point of bringing up the odds is that's something that I would not feel comfortable betting on. And no. if you do, you might have a problem. So seek, seek help. Um, I think we've hashed that out. <laughs>
1: Okay, do you want to talk about anything else that happened games wise this past week? I would love to
0: talk about Caleb Williams.
1: Let's do it. This is getting overplayed though, I think. I'm gonna A little to, bit. A little I'm bit I'm gonna have to cut back. I I have to make a cut back against a take that I've been high on, which is that Caleb will be in New York for the Heisman ceremony, which I believe. I do believe that. Um but I'll also cut back and say, Let's pump the brakes. TCU's defense has been a mess all year long. Texas hasn't been much better. But also, for as many great plays as Caleb Williams has made and the way he's energized his Oklahoma offense, yes, absolutely. There is rawness there. And you watch him play with a full sample size against TCU and there's a lot of overthrows. There's some questionable decisions at times. He is There's a wildness to his game, which I think in part has elevated this Oklahoma offense because of how passive Spencer Rattler had been, he's willing to take those risks, but he's also willing to take those risks. So how do you diagnose, uh, I don't know, the seven quarters of Caleb Williams we've seen so far?
0: Well, the first touchdown pass he threw against TCU, Herb Street on the broadcast made a great point of like, you want him to throw it here, you want him to throw it here, you want him to throw it here, and he takes like two or three ticks too long and just waited and waited and waited. At some point, that's going to make cost you a mistake. Uh, against
1: um, a defense like Georgia, any crack in the armor is going to cost yeah. you a mistake. and we, I think that's the team obviously Oklahoma's going to have to get through.
0: Eventually. But what I've seen from Caleb Williams is enough for me to believe that they are going to go 12-0 and and get through the Big 12 unscathed, uh, barring some significant change when they play Oklahoma State, who continues to rise in the polls and continues to make in, in, in impressive strides. And I legitimately was baffled by the fact that they beat Texas in a game that Texas had pretty much the gas all the way down in the first half and the brakes all the way down in the second half. But I think the the thing that stands out to me the most about Caleb Williams is the is how overwhelmingly – the rest of the receivers look like they're having fun. Oh yeah. In comparison to what they were doing with Spencer Rattler. And we don't necessarily need to get into like the inst- the Instagram bio gate with Rattler of like him taking Who had
1: the screenshot lined up and ready to go prior to it just He took it out and then it. he put it
0: back in today.
1: He well put... yeah, it was yeah.
0: So I first I don't of all, I think
1: he anticipated that people would have been ready with the bio screenshot from days of old to come and Make sure that the world knows that he did once have OU quarterback in his bio.
0: Yeah, I I don't—I just—I'm very out of touch with D1 football Instagram and understanding what goes into captions, what goes into bios, and all of that. I'm just not up to speed with that. (laughs) I mean, I understand what's going on. I don't understand why guys do certain things that they do. Uh, And we we might have to have a conversation about Sean Tucker at some point maybe, uh, in, the, in the tweets that are coming out of his account. Just social media stuff that's happening across college football that I, th- I find we'll very interesting. We'll talk about it later. Um, but yeah, I think that the, the, the biggest thing of the weekend for me was just how the Oklahoma fan base and receivers reacted to Caleb Williams. There was an infectious uh, enthusiasm in Norman for him being a starter and i understand why uh it just it seems like the switch that is going to kind of boost this team where they can kind of look at the look at the start of the year and rightfully or not and i think the the quiet thing that people need to be talking about is how much better the offensive line is playing and how much better the offensive line is blocking uh for the running backs but that's the thing that they can kind of push back and be like all right yeah we beat Tulane by 5 we didn't necessarily dominate Nebraska, but now we have Caleb and it's a different team. Whether that's right or not, I think that's going to be the perception. And Oklahoma fans are back to hating on the defense because they gave up 31 to TCU. So
1: Yeah, Max Duggan was slinging it around.
0: On a hobbled foot. Yeah. So, elsewise
1: in college football this week, is there anything that you want to touch on Games-wise this week, which I, I just I refuse to call a slate week anymore. These are the weeks where chaos happens. I think we've learned that enough this year. And honestly, I'm just remiss to say any week of college football is bad after we experienced it without fans last year. Yeah, I'm just not going to do that.
0: And, so, and with so many games canceled, that like the, just having a full slate even if it's— I,
1: I mean, knock on wood, whatever. I had this realization the other day. It's a minor miracle. I, I know that COVID numbers are down. It is a minor miracle that we've not had, like, any cancellation of any game of any substance at the D1 level. But
0: that's because so many guys are vaxxed up.
1: Sure, and we don't need to do a whole vaccine thing, but it's still impressive. I will
0: say this, my only statement on vaccines tonight is if you're not willing to get vaccinated for $3 million, I just question your intelligence. I question your intelligence, but
1: not your principle. That's because you are committed well, to Well, I question
0: your principle if you're not willing to answer literally any question Fair. or or prove or prove that the argument that you're making a, a case for is an argument that you would have always backed. Uh and if you have interest in going into those comments, just go read about Nick Rolovich, but we're not doing five, ten minutes on that. Odd. odd um odd.
1: Uh let's talk about Tennessee real quick.
0: Yes. So, think
1: people, I save your outrage, calm down, like, everybody out there that's like, this is despicable, this is disgusting.
0: If you felt the need to tweet, this is despicable behavior...
1: Get off my timeline. I don't... Listen. <laughs> Who is disagreeing with that? Like... No, no, no. I just don't think it's... I think it's a stupid comment to make. Save your fake outrage. I don't need... Yeah,
0: well, because... You're you're,
1: going to move on from this in Deep down in your heart of hearts,
0: you laughed about it. You were like, holy crap, this is hilarious. This
1: is the SEC. So (laughs) get over it. It it was some rowdy drunk students threw some stuff onto the field. There's a lot of vitriol there for Lane Kiffin, but I don't think this was about Lane Kiffin. I think this was an amalgamation of different factors,
0: including
1: really bad officiating, which we need to talk about because the SEC has an officiating problem. It is
0: specifically with one guy. Well, really badly with one guy.
1: blossomed into a significant issue. But aside from that, everybody who is saying that this is so horrible, this is the end of the world, was Lane probably in a little bit more danger than anybody ever needs to be as a coach on a sideline? Yeah, probably. I also will contend. This is a game that is very dangerous to play, and we go and we root for these guys as they throw themselves into each other every weekend. So if this is the thing you're mad about, and I'm, again, not enabling the fan behavior because what happened was not acceptable, but for somebody to take a moral stance, there are much more significantly morally negative things that are going on in the world and than in the somebody SEC. throwing a mustard bottle onto the field. Okay, so calm down.
0: There are a lot more despicable actions occurring in the SEC than people throwing a couple things on a field.
1: Yeah, it wasn't good. I hope it doesn't inspire other student sections to do the same. It's not something that should happen. It won't, though.
0: Like This is such an outlier event.
1: Well, the problem is that we thought that about what happened in the NBA when fans got back in the building, and then it emboldened one idiot in every stadium to do something for like a week. Because all it, this is like, I think 14 or 18 people got arrested. There are 100,000 people in that stadium. It is less than 1%. I saw something like 47 people got arrested. And the number may have gone up in post of the game, too. But listen, it takes like five idiots to stop a football game. And that, that's kind of a scary prospect in and of itself. And Tennessee fans have a reputation beyond this, which I think has contributed to some of this, right? Well, whether it's Greg Ciano, et cetera, et cetera. But this is not the end of Tennessee's program. There is not some loose moral foundation underneath Tennessee's program. The bedrock of this program is still what it's always been. Like, And for people to be so upset about this, was it good? No, absolutely not. I would have rather it not happened. But also, Lane was soaking it in because he knows... Oh, he loved that. In his heart of hearts, that this ridiculousness, the lunacy of this moment, is what makes college football college football.
0: I mean, that's why he threw his visor into the stands at the end. And Love it or hate it,
1: this is what it is.
0: Like, it was... It, the thing is, that, that end of the game, and as absurd of a thing to, to be happening as, as it was, and watching literally cops and Lane Kiffin stand inside of the boundary hash marks as, that, as those last three Ole Miss downs were happening before Tennessee got the ball back, when they, started, when they resumed play after all the stuff had been thrown on the field. And you've got two cops standing next to Lane Kiffin who's standing two or three feet onto the field to stay off the sidelines where people are throwing stuff at him. It was just an absurd visual. It all is like, I'm not gonna say all, but most of it comes from and stems from just fans being extremely drunk and extremely mad about really, really atrocious officiating.
1: And something that happened about a decade ago.
0: Yes, a combination of the two. Because the officials took a touchdown off the board on a fumble that, wasn't a, that should have been a fumble that was ruled forward progress stopped and there was never forward progress. So it never made sense. And I'm the biggest Matt Crow guy out there. That was a fumble. Should also, have
1: what a game from him, by the way. but
0: Yes, and banged, him up, banged himself up because of it. And we come to the end of it, and we've got a, a, we've got a referee in Mark Curls who refereed Memphis-Mississippi State this year, which is just an a, absurd botch. Two guys, same number, no penalty. Ball was downed, not whistled down, touchdown. Screwed his own conference out of a win with Mississippi State, so that's kind of an odd <laughs> thing. Then he goes and ruins the Georgia State Auburn game, calling a catch for Auburn on a fourth and 10 for Georgia State, or fourth and 10, that Georgia State gets a stop. They win that game, they upset Auburn. More anarchy in college football. to get football. one back for the league because it him I guess so. And then you go back to last year, and he doesn't know what a backwards Golly. spike is on yeah. the Bo Nix play against no, Auburn. It's so, like it so bad. And the, the last three times that you can say horrible, or last four, four now that the Tennessee thing, the last four times you can point it to the same guy and the same officiating crew, and that is just like a stain on a, on a league that cares so much. I don't know how they put up with it.
1: No, it's the SEC makes billions, built with a B. Yeah, billions. So, so little is invested into the officiating. If you want the numerical breakdowns, you can find them. They're online. There's not nearly enough money involved. In it. Referees should. That, the fact that referees have to work side jobs at the highest levels is concerning to me. This should be a full-time job. You should be able to support yourself being a referee for these sports, determining the outcomes of these things that are multi-billion dollar industries.
0: So, like, complain all you want about college basketball officiating, but at least those guys are mm full-time and are calling two, three games. Like, the argument for college basketball officials is that they're so worn down because they're flying across the country all the time.
1: And that they have TV Teddy and he wants to be TV. And John TV. Higgins
0: and all yeah. these kinds of guys. Like legitimate characters. Yeah. But the argument with the officials in college football is that these guys don't have enough focus on the games, mm-hmm. which makes – it doesn't line up. It doesn't line up. So I did really appreciate Lane Kiffin saying – that uh, are needling the Tennessee student section of being like, I'm sure those 8- and 9-year-olds were really torn up about me <laughs> me leaving Knoxville. Great line. Uh, I'm just very in on Ole Miss. And, and this this stuff happening with the game stoppage and all that overshadows the fact that Ole Miss won a game in which they scored no points in the fourth quarter and only seven in the second half. Like, their defense stepped up.
1: It was a defensive game,
0: mm-hmm. realistically, which is
1: odd. Uh, we have run... Yeah, we need a break. Well over the mark. We're not going to run a break. You know what? Oh. We're just going to roll right on in while we're here. No ads tonight. To wait a sec. Yeah, no free uh, no free advertising. You know, the binoculars, like, oh, my God. You're going to stop at the uh, Exxon
2: and get a
3: chicken on a stick.
2: Call ramen. I'm excited because we're going to see. We're going to see come drink in the dogs. Ugh. They can't find Rama. What do we do? Rat poison. All right, all these offensive coaches on here. You guys are all part of the Taliban, man. I'm stop.
3: Hey, stop the ball. Stop the drill. I'm having a press conference. Thank you. Bacon is good for
2: me. I can't sit in church without shaking my leg or you know, my hands start shaking because I'm worried about what you guys are going to do next.
0: Go Tigers!
1: (laughs) So, let's start with Georgia. Because I I think that that's the takeaway that we've not touched yet. Because pretty much spent the first 30 minutes of the show talking about the SEC.
0: So this will just be Georgia talk.
1: Concluding the thought, we may hit a little bit of what Florida did against LSU. Great win for LSU. They found out how to run the football. I think it might be more about the fact that Florida has a legitimate problem with their defense, and it's probably time for Todd Grantham to go. Also, are you aware of the fact that Florida is now, I believe the number is two and six in their last eight games against FBS opponents? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like two and six, or maybe uh, three and five against
0: FBS opponents?
1: Yeah, or maybe it's Power 5 It has opponents. to be Power 5 because they've yeah, won four is, games. It's power and... 5 opponents. Okay. It's not FAU and USF. Get those out of here.
0: Yeah, then it's Power 5.
1: Power 5. So, yeah. that and that's Dan too might have a problem. I mean, if they don't get this corrected, he definitely will. Um, that's going downhill fast, and that might be why they're going Anthony Richardson finally at quarterback. Uh, maybe a little bit too late. Aside from that, though, let's talk about Georgia and Kentucky. This was the preeminent matchup in college football last weekend. 11 versus 1. Georgia suffocated them. I mean, Wandale Robinson, who's one of the nation's best, had 12 catches. And when you hear that, you're like, okay, 12 catches. Probably had, what, like at least 80 yards. No. Kentucky got their best playmaker, the football, and he was only able to accrue like 35 yards. 39 yards. Yeah. So...
0: One carry for six yards.
1: Georgia's defense very well, and this is not an overstatement, I don't think, at this point. Might be the best ever. And here is why. So, Gabe, when you think of the best college football defenses of all time, who do you bring
0: up in your Uh, mind? I would think of uh, the Miami teams that basically had 11 defensive guys that went to the NFL. Yeah. So That would be my first pick. I would say a couple of the late 2000, early 2010s Bama teams. Let's stop there
1: because that's the sample size that everybody's going to think of. You go and look at the Athlon Sports list. They are 1-2. and two. I just did top of the
0: dome. You, did, you That was a question you posed to me that I had not yeah, even thought sure. about before. That
1: was not a leading question, but you got to where I wanted you to go. Yeah, 2011 Bama is the top defense of all time according to Athlon Sports, number Two on that list is 2001. Miami, the greatest team of all time, probably still didn't win a national championship, somehow lost to Jim Trestle in overtime here in Tennessee. Yeah. So that Miami defense allowed 9.8 points per game. Okay. Alabama in 2011, that's the Courtney Upshaw, Mark Barron, Studley defense that is number one on this list. They had three shutouts, low number. But if you remember correctly, that's the year the game of the century happened in the SEC. Alabama, LSU, and when was the last time we could think of the two best teams in the nation getting together and combining for 15 points? That was what that defense was. Um, of course, Alabama lost that game 9-6. to They then turned around and shut LSU out in a national title game. Mm-hmm. So those are the two best defenses ever. They allowed 8.2 points per game, Alabama, that year. Who do you think, or how many points, I should say, do you think Georgia is allowing to this person? I of know season? the number. It's 6.6. Okay, it's 6.6. 6. 6. 6. Considering that they've ranked, played more ranked teams than not to this point, yeah, at the point of the game, they've played more yeah, ranked teams than not. Seven.
0: They won't play another ranked team the rest of the year.
1: And then their schedule gets significantly worse. That number is only going to get better. And you watch them play. Well, It it is just unbelievable to watch this defense run around and play. And you saw it against Kentucky again. It's not like these guys up front blast off the screen with absurd athleticism, although they have that, this absurd athleticism coming off the edge, blowing people up like Jadavian Clowney, because they're not doing that. What they are doing is subtly crushing their opponent. The pocket closes one second, two seconds, three seconds, and then all of a sudden the quarterback is enveloped by four dudes because they're all just slowly crushing the pocket around the quarterback. And once you get the ball out, sideline to sideline, that's what that Wandale Robinson number tells you. There is no run after the catch available to you against Georgia. The only way to beat them is to somehow take the top off over the top. And most but, of the time you don't have the time and to you get. A, don't have the time, and B, you don't have the receivers to beat their corners. hmm I don't see the answer. I mean, of course, Georgia has not played a truly elite offense yet, which is something that maybe should be pointed out. Arkansas is the closest thing to it. Arkansas is seriously flawed as quote-unquote elite offense, because you can't really be elite only being able to really do one thing.
0: Same thing with Kentucky. Sure. And Clemson is one of the...
1: Worst offenses in the country. In the country, yeah. Against FBS opponents, I believe they're like 14 points a game? 15 Uh, points per game? Something like that? It's only 18 total points per game. It's really bad.
0: I'm trying to do the math right now. It's kind of unbelievable. So... They have We've, 76 points in five, so it's a great radio. it's 15 points per game Yeah, offensively against FBS opponents for Clemson. Yeah, their offense is not good.
1: Yes. All that to say, yes, exactly. Their offense is not good. We'll see what Georgia looks like against Florida. That's the biggest takeaway from the SEC this weekend, though, and that, yes, that's embedded is the quarterback of this team.
0: Yeah, that's... I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Like, I think they are certainly in the debate and the way that they have physically dominated people.
1: The defense is getting better. The too. only
0: way we'll be wrong is if we get a different look December fourth. And it would have to like and I it would have to end up being either Alabama or Ole Miss scoring a bunch of points against them, and I don't know how that's it, it
1: ain't going. happening. Nobody's scoring a bunch of points against this defense. I'll tell you that right
0: Alabama now. Alabama versus Georgia would be a fascinating matchup.
1: And by the way, I'm going to call my shot here. I've tiptoed around it all year long. Jordan Davis is the best player in college football. Don't think it's particularly close.
0: He's the most overwhelmingly He's not going to win the
1: Heisman, but that guy's unstoppable.
0: He's, yeah, he's unbelievable. Uh, do you want to do name image like this? Let's do it. Okay, my name or pick to click. We haven't done this in two weeks. Name my pick to click this week. The return off the buy off the injury. Uh, I'm going to go with Sean Clifford returning to action against Illinois and putting up big numbers. I'm a sucker for Big Ten quarterbacks and believing. I'm a I'm a ride or die Big Ten quarterback guy, which is not something that you should be, uh, unless it's Spencer Petras, and I'm firmly off that back bandwagon. So. um, Sean Clifford, my pick-to-click this week. Not really going out on a limb. Illinois sucks. Pick-to-click. I'm going to go with Keaton Slovis,
1: guy that I've hated heavily on. But I will say this. For as bad as USC has been at their worst this year in Pac-12 play, all their bad moments, their lowlights have come at home. Look down the schedule. Okay. Oregon State loss. That was at home. Stanford loss. That was at home. Utah loss. That was at home. When you look at what they're doing to teams on the road...
0: It's very weird.
1: (laughs) The discrepancy is they've allowed impact well play. When teams have come to the Coliseum, they have scored 42 points or more in every single game. On the road, given their opponents were Colorado and Washington State, two of the three worst teams in the Pac-12, sure. They've allowed 14 points per game, and they look dominant. So I'm just going to go with that weird logic with that any rhyme or reason and say that Keaton Slovis plays really well because the game's not in L.A.
0: Okay. I can, I can jive with that. And I really want USC to win for personal reasons. I understand those personal reasons. I, I can see it happening. Uh, I'm going to go with image, my best visual, and this is projecting. It's not looking back from last week. It's projecting forward for this week. Uh, Oregon at the Rose Bowl. I think uh, green and blue pops specifically when it's in Pasadena. And I can't see anything other than a beautiful jersey matchup uh, for the college game day game this week.
1: I'm trying to scroll up to make sure that I find it. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't misquoting here. My like this goes to one of the nation's best running backs. He played on Friday night last week. You probably saw him on a national stage. It's Sean Tucker of Syracuse. After games, he tweets out his stats in a very weird way. I'm going to read off the tweet from the Syracuse game. Friday, we lost, comma. Syracuse, 14, Clemson, 17, comma. No, it's a period. It's a period. I'm pleased with my performance, but not happy we lost another close one. I ran 22 attempts. It's abbreviated ATT. For 157 YDS yards. With two receptions for 20 yards. With five games left, I'm just getting started, exclamation mark. <laughs> and he does this after every loss. Here is what he had to say after Wake Forest. Saturday, we lost in OT, Syracuse 37, Wake Forest 40. I'm pleased with my performance, but not happy with the outcome. I wish I could have done more. I ran 26 attempts for 153 yards. And two TDs with three receptions for 29 yards and a TD. It's like he's writing.
0: We have a new segment uh, on the show. It's called Tuck's Tweet. Yes. And we're just going to read his post-game tweet every week on the show. It's like he's writing a story about himself. I love it. It's now one of my favorite
1: things in college football. And and he always tweets a picture of himself from that game. It's awesome. Like it's a story for, like, the AP wire. But But it's first person. And he's a great, he's a great running back. That's the funny thing. It is one of the strangest things I ever seen. Um, <laughs> All
0: right, uh, it's elite. I'm Are gonna you, go. I'm gonna go yeah. like this, and then we're gonna hit a very quick total transfer island and some very quick game picks. My like this, heading into this weekend, something I'm already a fan of is Ole Miss painting Manning in their end zones as Arch Manning comes to town to say, for his guess visit. Who's in town? Yeah, Eli Manning is getting his jersey retired.
1: But Lane knows exactly exactly what, what he's, he's doing. doing. <laughs>
0: This, this is ne- genius. Yeah, it's great. It's excellent. This is genius. Uh, and
1: Arch is really good. I've never seen a recruit get this kind of adulation before. Adulation.
0: There was guys at the Texas game this past week, Texas-Oklahoma State, who were recruits for Texas, and they were just tweeting, like, me and Arch Manning, and everybody was re- retweeting It's not him. like
1: he's better as a prospect than Trevor was, but okay. Carry on. As it's just Kendrick the family Kirtins name. Modi Moody. Um. All right, my like this belongs to the Roadrunners of UTSA. Ranked for the first time in program history. That's always a really cool thing. So awesome. Good for them. All right, time for total transfer island.
2: All right. Uh. So last week we uh, sent Jack Cohn, the Notre Dame quarterback, off the island. He transferred from Wisconsin. So that means uh, first off, we have Mackenzie Milton, the Florida State quarterback, transferred from UCF. Florida State had a bye week, so he didn't play.
3: Uh, Hendon Hooker next up at Tennessee, transferred from Virginia Tech. 17 26, 233 yards, and a touchdown, and of course, the 31 26 loss against Ole Miss.
2: Next up, Eric Gray, the Oklahoma running back, transferred from Tennessee. You'll hear that school a lot in the transfers. Last week, six attempts, uh, 11 yards, and finally got his first touchdown in the season in a 52-31 win at home over TCU.
3: Henry Toe at Alabama, another one from Tennessee. I tried to vote him off last week. He proved me wrong. 13 tackles, seven solo, and a sack in a 49-9 win at Mississippi State.
2: Wondell Robinson, the Kentucky... Bland out of transfer from Nebraska, 12 receptions, 39 yards, and a touchdown. But Kentucky fell 13 to 30 at Georgia.
3: Charleston Rambo, wide receiver at Miami. Uh, he's a transfer from Florida, excuse me, Oklahoma. Last week, four receptions, 35 yards, and a loss at North
2: Carolina. Tyler Shuck, the Texas Tech quarterback, transferred from Oregon. Uh, hasn't played because he broke his collarbone a few weeks ago. But Tech won 41 14 at Kansas.
3: Uh, Ty Chandler with a redemption game, another transfer from Tennessee at North Carolina. 18 attempts, 104 yards, two touchdowns, and a 45-42 win against Miami.
2: Bailey Zappi, the Western Kentucky quarterback, transferred from Houston, ba- Houston Baptist, 37-54, 397 yards, five touchdowns, one interception, 43-20 win for Western Kentucky on the red at Old Dominion. Peyton's dog did not cover.
1: <laughs> no, I was just trying to fade Bailey so that he would get a win, because Lord knows I wasn't going to get this right. <laughs>
3: Uh, Tanner Mordecai at SMU, transferred from Oklahoma. They were on bye.
2: And finally, we have Kenneth Walker the III, the Michigan State running back, transferred from Wake Forest. Last week, 23 carries, 84 yards, and Sparty
0: came up with a 20-15 win on the road at Indiana. We're going to have to make some subs at some point soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, some new blood's going to have to get brought into the this, dating pool. This bye
0: week will be a... Uh, we may have some people who are uncomfortable incapable of fulfilling their duties on the island and thus someone else will be taking over their gameplay responsibilities I'm looking at you mackenzie milton i'm looking at you tyler shuck like, there's just a lot of guys who are like not playing uh regardless of the facts we need to eliminate someone so everyone can nominate
2: all right uh i guess i'll go first um kind of tough here i guess i'll go with uh, charleston rambo uh just been disappointing for me so far at Miami this year.
1: Everything about Miami has been disappointing. Yeah, that too. Um,
3: I'm going to take Eric Gray. When it's your first touchdown in the season and you've played that many games, I think that's a
0: sign he needs to go. And he got the touchdown with a minute, with a minute left in a blowout and got like fake cheers from the OU fans. It was not good. Woo. Yeah. Like that. Peyton?
1: I'm going to, Zach, we're going to go with Kenneth Walker. He needs to focus on the games coming up for him and not on this. And you know what? Disappointed in him. Shouldn't have gone to Michigan State. Should have just stayed at Wake. Would have been just OP, that offense.
0: And Michigan, now, now we,
1: Michigan State and Wake Forest are kind of both Both those teams are overrated. And together they would have not been maybe as much. So. I'm kicking Tyler Shuck.
0: Uh, and yeah, he's, he's my <laughs> Take bro.
1: the guy with the broken collarbone. Uh, all right, let's do game picks.
0: All right. Last week, I went six and four. Peyton went five and five.
1: Still above five hundred, though.
0: You are thirty six and thirty four. I'm forty one and twenty nine. We had a spirited debate in pre show production about Indiana losing by five as a plus five and getting a half a point. So there we go. Uh, all right, number sixteen, Wake Forest. You just said a little bit of a fraudulent team taking on Army.
1: I am going to go with Wake in a rout.
0: I'm also going to take Wake.
1: Also, I'm going first. No, I'm not going first. Okay,
0: okay. You're going first. I'm taking Wake as well. They will win. It will be close. It will not be a rout. Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Call me a sucker. Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. I don't even remember the saying, whatever it is. Fool me three times. I'm taking Iowa State. Third time I've picked against Oklahoma State this year. The only time I've picked picked them, they beat Kansas State. So I'm
1: You're running counter to Vegas.
0: I'm no, I'm running. I'm running with Vegas. Iowa You're, State's a seven point favorite.
1: You, oh, so you went ahead and picked Iowa State. I thought you when you were saying fool me one time. Shame on you. Fool me two times because we've been picking against Oklahoma State all year.
0: And I'm going to continue picking against Oklahoma I'm State. I'm not going
1: to be so foolish.
0: Okay, Peyton, Peyton, you can take Oklahoma State. I'll take OSU. All right, Oregon at UCLA, number 10 Oregon against DTR, who's banged up.
1: Oregon's not looked convincing for quite some time now. Uh, the team that showed up in Columbus doesn't look to uh, be on the sideline, the uh, mighty Oregon Ducks anymore.
0: I'm going to still pick Oregon. I will also pick Oregon. Wow, okay. I thought you were going to ride with your boy DTR. LSU at Ole Miss, Matt Corral, banged up, might not play. Actually,
1: give me UCLA. The Pac-12 can't have nice things.
0: Okay, Um, UCLA winning would really increase the chances of a three-way tie with two losses uh, in the Pac-12 South, which would be good for ASU. Uh, LSU at Ole Miss. Ole Miss might not have Matt Corral. Lane Kiffin was skeptical about his availability because he ran the ball 30 times against Tennessee. I still think Ole Miss wins.
1: I think Ed Orgeron has rallied his guys around him. I think that was evident. In the Florida game, because his impending doom was already in motion at that point in time. I'm just going to pick Ole Miss to be safe, but I definitely don't feel good about it.
0: Okay. Clemson, Dabble loves to play up the little underdog that is Clemson. They are actually underdogs uh, by three and a half points against Pittsburgh. Preseason in the look-ahead line, they were 17-point favorites, and I am going to ride with Kenny Heisman, Kenny Pickett, and Pittsburgh.
1: I am too. I just don't think Clemson can score enough points. And that's it. Like, Pitt has had success against Clemson in the past. They will again in this game.
0: Number 22, San Diego State, is going on the road to Air Force.
1: And before you start, I don't know a thing about either of these two teams other than the fact that Air Force runs a triple option and San Diego State's got a bunch of good wins.
0: Brady Hoke is coaching San Diego State. They struggled to score against San Jose State, I am taking Air Force.
1: I'm going to go with SCSU. Okay. Shout out Dom Stern.
0: <laughs> Shout out Dom Stern. Ohio State against Indiana. I'm assuming you're not taking the big upset. I am going to take Ohio State. You're you've got that CJ Stroud ticket. Yo, yeah, Ohio State's back to being Ohio State. <laughs> Good. USC and Notre Dame. I am going to take USC.
1: Why? Why? Why would you do such a thing?
0: I think that the, I this is a classic bounce-back USC win.
1: Yeah, it is. And
0: then they win again next week, and then they come into ASU. How many games am I different than you right now? You are... This week or total? This week. Uh, one. No, two. Two to do. Two. two games. Oklahoma State and San Diego State you picked, and I picked both unranked teams to pull off seed upsets, but not gambling upsets.
1: USC's got too much firepower for an offense that doesn't know what they are.
0: USC. Okay. Georgia Tech at Virginia. I'm going to ride with the... Nation's leading passer, and Virginia, Armstrong. I agree. Okay. Utah at Oregon State. I said this last week. I called my shot. I said regardless of what happens in ASU yeah. Utah, Utah is going to go to Corvallis and lose to an Oregon State team coming off a bye. I'm taking Oregon State.
1: I'll go with Oregon State as well.
0: Actually, wow, I don't like that.
1: Reverse it. I'm going to take Georgia Tech, though, because I'm going to run with Jeff Collins
0: and Sims and, and Jameer Gibbs, Jameer Gibbs and what they got going there. All right, Kevin, you're not going to like this. I know I asked you for your advice pre-show about the Green Dog, and you said to take Boston College against Louisville. I'm switching the pick. If you're 1-4, you should not be favored by more than a touchdown against another Power 5 team. I'm taking Colorado plus 9 against Cal. Okay.
1: I'm going to go with a pick that's close to my heart. I'm going to go with Vanderbilt to cover against Mississippi State this weekend. Will Rogers got
0: plus 20 and a half. just
1: bludgeoned against Alabama, and the Bama hangover is a real thing, especially when it's an angry Bama. I think Vanderbilt, who showed signs of life against South Carolina this week, will cover that. Okay. All right, that's the show. This has been Heat Check. We will see you again on Sunday.